Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. I love the story that God is writing in their lives. As we talk about marriage today, I just want to start out and tell you that we're going to define marriage in the same way that Jesus defined marriage. He defined marriage as a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, in a monogamous relationship for life. In Matthew chapter 19, he said that God created the male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, and what God has put together, let no man separate. But what we realize is there's a lot of separation that ends up happening in marriage. I went looking for some statistics to kind of get a a feel for our our culture and the temperature right now. And I I found a statistic that said that the average length of marriage in the United States right now is just 8.2 years. And uh, the the statistics on divorce are are kind of all over the place. You'll see different numbers. I I found a a site that I trust. They said that the divorce rate's been around 44.6% here in the United States. And during coronavirus, that that number went to 44.8%. So it ticked up like 2.2%. We may see some lagging statistics there based on marriages that are struggling. And so for that reason, uh, struggling marriages and the challenge of marriage, I I want to address marriage. And this is going to be a short series. We're not going to talk about it long. And for that reason, I want to point you in the direction of a resource. Our church has purchased a subscription, a subscription to Right Now Media for every one of you. And so if you'll go to the website, scroll down to the bottom, you'll see the Right Now Media tab. Go ahead and click on that, uh, create your own password. But we've taken care of that subscription. There are a lot of resources there. And some of the resources are on marriage. And so I would uh, recommend those to you. So check out Right Now Media. But I think it's important for us to talk about this topic of marriage. And the the goal of just this two weeks is uh, we need to go ahead and honor marriage. Uh, the, The goal as well is that we would remain committed for those of us that are in marriage right now, that we would remain committed to the covenant that we have made before God and man. And then that we would also ask the Lord to strengthen our marriages. That's the goal for this two-week series. Uh, It says this in Hebrews chapter 13, let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And let me just say, if if you are single, don't check out. Uh, I would encourage you to take that scripture verse literally and hold marriage in high honor and that you would pray for the marriages that we have here in our church family, that they would be strengthened. And I'd also say that if God calls you to be married one day, and I realize God doesn't call everyone to be married. Some people are called to celibacy and that is completely fine. But if God does call you to be married one day, take those things that you hear from uh, God's word that that are useful, and then apply it to your marriage. So don't check out during this time. Uh, In a book entitled Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, doctors Les and Leslie Parrott list uh, some of those characteristics that are most important for a lasting marriage to occur. And before I share one of those things that they did, let me just say, I would say the, the most important thing that you can have in your marriage for a lasting marriage is Jesus Christ. 
You put him at the center of your relationship, it changes everything. It is Jesus Christ that has saved my marriage. He didn't just save me, he has saved our marriage. Here's what happens when you both are drawing close to Jesus. As you draw close to Jesus, your spouse draws close to Jesus, you're coming closer together at the same time. That is most important, Christ at the center of your relationship. Then in this book that I referenced, they said a very important characteristic is having realistic expectations in your marriage. Coming into marriage and being realistic about what marriage is. There's a direct correlation between your, your level of anticipation that you have for marriage and then reality, right? If, you're, if your expectation is really, really high and then you get into marriage and it doesn't meet that high ceiling of expectation, then you can become disillusioned. You can, you can be discouraged and, and then you can feel like, well, I'm being cheated here in some way. And it's real easy, I think, in our culture to have kind of a, a skewed view of what marriage is. We, we see it all over the place. Uh, you watch movies. Movies and there's always these happy outcomes. You have fairy tales. Uh, there's the Hallmark Channel, and uh, I don't watch it, so I'm not quite sure. But my guess is things are working out pretty good, right? All right, the Cinderella story, and it's always going to work out, and we live happily ever after. And so there's an unrealistic expectation that is placed on marriage for marriages to be perfect. So we're going to consider just three areas to be realistic in our marriages today. And so the first one is this: be realistic about meeting each other's needs. Be realistic about meeting each other's needs. Again, we, we have so many kind of personal needs and wants that we end up bringing into our relationships, into our marriages. We have this desire for physical intimacy and encouragement and trust, and, and we want affection, and we want financial security and unconditional love, and we bring all of those things to the marriage, and we think, well, somebody's going to come in, they're going to sweep me off my feet, and they're going to meet every one of those needs. That is not going to happen. You, you are not going to find someone who is going to do that. And, and if you hold that expectation that they're going to do that, you're going to end up disillusioned. You're going to feel cheated. There, there is no one person who's going to meet all of your needs. The only one who can meet all of your needs is Jesus Christ. So don't place that expectation on your spouse. They're never going to be able to meet that. This is what the Bible says. Philippians 4.19, and my God... My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So only God can supply all of your needs. And he had to die on the cross and rise from the grave to do that for you. That is not the role of your spouse. So you may have to go through this life and you may have to go through marriage without your spouse meeting every single one of your needs. In fact, you in your marriage may end up investing more in the marriage then you get back. But the Bible tells us that as Christians, we are to have the same attitude, the same mindset of Jesus Christ who sacrificed out of love. This is what it says. Philippians chapter two, verse three. Don't do anything. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So imagine what happens if you begin to do that. If you, in humility, start counting other people, especially your spouse, as more significant than you. Rather than seeking having all of your needs met and everything coming your direction, what would happen if you began to seek to meet their needs? That would change everything. There was a woman who, who wanted to divorce her husband. 
And so she went to a lawyer and, and she told the lawyer that her husband had been uh, just kind of like uh, disregarding her. He was oblivious to her. And she said, I want to hurt him like he's hurt me. I want to sue him for everything he's got. And the lawyer, who was a Christian, said, well, I, I would suggest you do something different. It, it's not going to matter if you divorce him right now. It's not going to hurt him at all because you said he's oblivious to you. So here's what I would suggest. The lawyer said, how about for the next six months, you meet every one of his needs. You sacrifice for him. You put him first. And then, then you jerk the rug out from underneath him. That will hurt him. He'll feel bad then. She thought that was a great idea. So six months later, she meets the Christian lawyer. And the Christian lawyer says, are you ready for that divorce? And she said, oh, no. I've fallen in love with him. Isn't that the case? If we would begin to step back and in humility begin to meet the needs of our spouse as best we can, we're never going to be able to accomplish that completely. But what would happen if in humility we didn't seek to have our own needs met, but we sought to meet the needs of our spouse? Now, second area. Second area to be realistic. Be realistic about physical intimacy. All right? Now, I realize that as we talk about this, this is a sensitive and a supercharged subject, but we need to talk about it. We have to talk about sexual intimacy within marriage because the Bible talks about it. And I think it's important to talk about because our culture is talking about sex constantly. In fact, you can't go anywhere. The world continues to just raise attention towards sex. And and the world would come along and they would say, anybody who's going to speak on behalf of morality, why don't you just sit down and be quiet? We've got it from here. But God in his word begins to talk about physical intimacy within marriage and what that is to look like. So our culture so emphasizes this, just raises it, again, to an unrealistic expectation. It is hyped in songs and advertising and movies and websites and magazines and books to the level that the anticipation is completely unrealistic. We are uh, overemphasizing within our culture this area of sex. It's almost as if nothing else matters. And so you'll hear people that say, well, how can you expect me to remain celibate while I'm not married? Well, God expects you to remain that way. Or you'll hear people who will say, well, uh, of course I had an affair because my spouse wasn't meeting my needs. It's almost as if all standards of right and wrong and morality are just being trampled on. And every now and then, if you really do read God's word and you think, okay, he set up these standards, you're starting to think, am I the only one who thinks this or believes this? Because everything that we hear from our culture is pulling us away from God and saying, look, just do whatever makes you feel good. There are no rules. There are no boundaries. There are no consequences. And the world just baits us, baits us, baits us. Do whatever you want to do. The standards are changing. It's different times. You don't need to do what God says. And they'll bait the people. They'll bait individuals. And as soon as people take the bait, step over some kind of cultural line, oh, well, now the world, how could you do something like that? It's filled with hypocrites. They say that churches are filled with hypocrites. This world is filled with hypocrites. They're more than happy than piling on others after the world baits them to do whatever feels good to you, whatever is right in the moment. But what happens is, when we begin to go outside the boundaries that a loving Heavenly Father has set up for sex within marriage, there are consequences. And the consequences 
often are ruined relationships, ruined reputations, broken families, addiction. One of those addictions is pornography. I mean, pornography is rampant. And one of the problems, just one of the problems, is this area of unrealistic expectations. How can your spouse live up to what is seen on a screen or in a magazine? What pornography does is it gives us quick hit of dopamine within the brain, but after that quick hit, what is often forgotten are the long-lasting consequences of viewing pornography, which ends up being this discontentment, this temptation, alienation that begins to happen in relationships. There is a right and there is a wrong, and God has set standards So we need to have realistic expectations when it comes to physical intimacy within marriage. I want to take you to a place in the Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So you can open up there, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the city of Corinth. Corinth, I I view it a whole lot like I view the United States. Just a really skewed view, a lot of sexual promiscuity that was going on. And so Paul's going to address that. He says to the church in Corinth, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, evidently what was happening uh, at that time, there was a group of people who were coming along and they were looking at the culture and what was happening there at Corinth and they were, they were speaking out and condemning promiscuity and rightly so. But then that group took it a step further and then they started teaching that there should be abstinence in marriage. And that is wrong. So Paul begins to address it. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, and interestingly, the Greek word for sexual immorality and sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage. The Greek word there is the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So Paul's kind of walking this line of saying, yes, uh, promiscuity outside of marriage is wrong, but then he's also going to talk about the fact that not being married is okay as well. Like there, there is a role and a call for individuals to remain celibate in their lives. You can jump to verses 28 through 39, I believe, and begin to read about this high calling of if God allows you not to be tempted in this way and you can remain celibate, fantastic, because now you can give all of your energy and your focus to the kingdom of God. But then he begins to address what happens because of our our flesh and that pull towards sexual immorality and being married. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He goes on, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Then he begins to address this abstinence in marriage. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, meaning you've got to talk about it, for a limited time. Why? That you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as I read that, my guess is maybe there's a guy in here who's like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Telling you, you got to read your Bible. But I got an amen from that. That's good. Uh, But here's, here's the other thing. You can't use the Bible as like a tool of manipulation. 
Right? You, can't, you can't go, well, the pastor said, and this verse says, if you have issues and some struggles in this area, don't, don't like, well, this is a weapon. No. That, that verse alone isn't going to be able to, to walk you and your spouse through some of those struggles that you may have. You're going to need some counseling. You've got to find a counselor, and I'm not it. And I'm going to, I'll, I'll direct you to somebody else. But these are true issues that need to be dealt with within our marriages. God has given us physical intimacy. God created sex. He made it. He created it for procreation, for the elimination of temptation, to express love, and to experience pleasure in our marriages. But without the commitment of marriage, sex is a charade. What it does is it offers pleasure to the body without bringing meaning to the person. And it's dangerous. And there are some serious consequences to sex outside of marriage. And some of you in this room may be engaged in that kind of thing, and you need to know it's sin. I know the world's not going to tell you that kind of thing, and I may seem like some old fuddy-duddy, but what we're looking at is the word of God. These are serious, serious things we need to account for. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, so you can turn back a chapter. Look, look at this. Flee, 6 verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from pornea. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So this kind of sin is in a category all its own. And again, this isn't like God up in heaven going, oh, I don't want you having any fun. That's not it. He loves you. He loves me. And he says, okay, I'm going to create some boundaries around this because you could end up in a world of hurt if you're going to decide to do life your way. Verse 19, he says, Paul says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. What was that price? The shed blood of Jesus Christ who redeemed you body and soul. So glorify God in your body. What's Paul saying? He's saying, don't listen to people who say that you're nothing more than a physical being. Don't listen to people who say, well, you're just an animal doing animal things. No, he says, you're more than that. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're a temple of God. You have the Holy Spirit. Why is, why is this third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit? Because he is holy. He is other. He is unique. He is supreme. He is sovereign. His judgments are right and true. He is complete in his holiness. Why would we need a Holy Spirit? Because we're unholy. Because everything in our flesh is pulling us away from a holy God. Why do we need a Holy Spirit? So that we can live out what God has said in Leviticus and 1 Peter. Be holy, for I, your God, am holy. Can't do that on my own. I can't accomplish any of this in my own strength. It must come from a holy God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, God of this universe indwelling you. And not only that, you have a spirit. You have been created with a spirit. You are long-lasting. And your spirit is going to go on. And it's not just about what you can do in this moment to gratify your flesh. There is more than instant gratification. 
There is eternal life waiting for us. So this should matter. Sexual morality should matter. It should be more important. It should be important because of your family. It should be important because of your, your personal witness of Jesus Christ. It's important because, did you know your marriage is a picture of the gospel? Your marriage is a picture of the gospel. The Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking and he's quoting Jesus back in Matthew 19. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And then he says in verse 32 that this is a mystery because it relates, this marriage relates to Christ and the church. So our marriages are a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when the world comes along and they start saying, well, we, we're going to go ahead and redefine marriage. It's going to look like something else. You'll have Christians who understand God's word stepping up and saying, no, that, that's not right. You, you can't redefine marriage because at that point you are distorting the gospel. It's not because we're homophobic. It's because marriage means something different. Call it a different name. Do your thing. Do it legally. But you can't take that term or what God has established to represent the gospel because as soon as you start distorting what marriage is, you've distorted the gospel. These things are important. Like, I, I know maybe you're here and you're just like, well, this is, this is why I don't like Christians. Right? And all these laws and rules and they say we're going to do these things and, and they're not real open-minded on stuff. Think about it this way for a second. Like, I, I would imagine at least you believe that maybe there's this God in heaven and you realize that there's good and there's evil. There is a cosmic battle that's going on. Like if there's a God and there is something that is evil. So you've got God and you've got Satan. And if the evil were going to begin to, to poke its finger in the eye of God, what would you begin to do? Well, I think what you would begin to do is you would begin to attack that which most looks like him. When God made Adam and Eve, he made them in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. So the enemy comes along. He's like, I don't like God, so I'm going to go ahead and start attacking the man and the woman. Did God really say? And now, now they can start questioning their identity. They can start questioning those boundaries that God has set up. And not only am I going to begin to attack the very first marriage, I'll go ahead and start attacking the family as well. Uh, I think I'll have this brother murder that brother. And it just gets skewed. I would say to, to the parents in the room, you, you have a responsibility knowing that there is this battle that is going on for the heart and soul of your children to teach them about sexual morality. And I just realized your job is getting harder. Very, very difficult. But you've got to prepare them, having realistic expectations, to prepare them for marriage, to have some tough conversations I would just say one of those conversations you need to have with your kids as they're maturing and developing is you need to tell them everybody questions their identity. That's just natural. Everybody's going to ask, well, am I? What am I attracted to? That's a natural question. Everybody asks it in development. But you, you aren't reminded or told that kind of thing. And if kids don't hear that, then they think, well, I, yeah, this really must be me. There's some hard conversations about, about the body, and when the body is touched, it doesn't know who or what is touching it, and so you might think if you're touching it a certain way, well, that must be who I am, and now I'm listening to what everybody else tell me who I am, but they need to understand their identity according to God's word. 
And if we begin to divorce our culture, divorce our minds of God's word, we have nothing to stand on, nowhere to go. But there is a God who has a standard, who loves us and points us in the right direction. And I realize that your job as parents, harder and harder and harder because this world wants to teach your kids. Let me give you an example, just kind of shifting gears a little bit and talking a little bit about this expectation in marriage and how we create unrealistic expectations and we kind of set our kids up sometimes for failure. Did you know in India, in the Indian culture, they arrange marriages, right? There, there's no dating, there's no experimentation, there's no comparison. The divorce rate in India, remember the divorce rate in the United States, 45%. You know the divorce rate in India, a non-Christian country? 1%. What's going on? I mean, I, this is kind of foreign to us. Like, we might think, well, man, arranged marriage, that seems kind of unfair. Is it even biblical? I don't know. But here, here's my thought on this. My hypothesis is this. To begin with no level of expectation is a whole lot better than a system that creates unrealistic expectations and develops an unhealthy pattern of going from person to person to person to person to person. Realistic expectations. Now, I'm not suggesting that we arrange marriages for our kids. may not be a bad idea. Some of your parents might be thinking about that. Um, but maybe we could do something different than the way that the culture just kind of tends to flow. Maybe we could start moving against the flow. Maybe you might want to try something like courtship for your kids, right? Instead of, instead of the guy coming along and pulling into the driveway and honking the horn, uh, the, the first uh, moments that, you know, they get together is with the family, right? We're going to have some meals together at our house. We're, we're going to play some games together. Uh, if it's your daughter dating some guy, you show them your high caliber rifles. <laughs> show them your, your target practicing and how good you are. And then after, you know, you get to know them, maybe, maybe it's, you know, trust is built up, and then maybe, just maybe, they could be alone sometime. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, that's weird. Normal ain't working. It's not working. 45% divorce rate. What if we went against the flow? What if we read God's word? What if we, we began to, to think biblically? And allow the Spirit of God to transform our hearts and have open conversations about these kinds of things rather than just going with the flow of what this culture is feeding us. We need to be realistic. So let's be realistic about meeting some needs in our relationships and physical intimacy within marriage and then be realistic about individual differences. Some couples anticipate that uh, if they're going to get married, especially if they're Christians, like when we, when we come together... We aren't going to have any problems because we love Jesus, right? We love Jesus. Everything will be fine. But the problem is when we're dating or courting, uh, when, when we get engaged, we put our best foot forward, right? We got our mask up. We're giving our very best. Then you get married. You drop the mask. And then somebody else starts saying, well, I don't think this is the same person. Uh, something has changed here. It, it's not who they were before. It says this in Ephesians 5 verse 31, therefore, Paul quoting Jesus, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And when you become one flesh with somebody else, that's a major adjustment. There's all kinds of differences. 
Right? You've got gender differences. You've got personality differences. You just have differences in the way that, that you want things. How hot or how cold is the room going to be? You, you have adjustments for just the way that you were raised. Uh, Les Parrott, who I, I quoted earlier, uh, Les Parrott, uh, when he was uh, growing up, his mom was a real stickler for etiquette. He said that, that she would never put a ketchup bottle on the table. She would take the ketchup, she would pour it into a dish, and then you dish out your ketchup on your hamburger. Les said, uh, I was married for one week. My wife made hamburgers, put the ketchup bottle on the table, and I said, were you born in a barn? <laughs> Not the best week of marriage there, right? They, you're going to have differences. So just be realistic about those differences. And realize, like, these aren't things necessarily that you're going to change. Like, you need to determine ahead of time, for those of you that one day will be engaged or are engaged, can you just live with those differences? Rather than thinking, you give me enough time, I'll fix them, right? Can, can you live with who they are now, just as they are, with those differences? And realize that those differences will most likely create arguments, and that's fine. You, you're you're going to have some arguments, uh, if you're about to get married and you start having some, some conflict or arguments, just realize that's normal. It's not the end of the world. You're going to learn and develop how to argue. That's, that's part of the joy of, of being married is figuring out how do we do conflict. There was a, a man and a woman, his wife, they were having a pretty long argument. And then finally he just said, all right, all right, I'll admit I'm wrong if you'll admit I'm right. Uh, his, his wife said, okay. He said, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. She said, you're right. <laughs> There's going to be differences. But the great thing is, those differences begin to shape who we are. It kind of knocks the rust off of us. We, we get polished and, and molded by these differences. The differences, we, we learn to adapt, and we're going to tolerate some things. We might compromise on some things. But the great thing is, you start changing. Your character begins to develop. And I, I would say that other than... The transformation of the Holy Spirit in my life, when I gave my life to Jesus, and, and, and the old Chris was dead and gone, and now there's a new Chris and the Spirit living in me, other than the transformation of the character that the Holy Spirit has given, my wife, Tammy, has helped shape who I am. And for that, I'm thankful. I am so blessed to have a wife who has influenced me the way that she has. And maybe you're a wife in the room, and you're thinking, man, I would just love it. <laughs> If my husband would be able to say one day, man, I'm so blessed that my wife has helped shape who I am. And so I started thinking, well, what is it that she does? Like, why, why is this? And I would say, one of the biggest things that came to my mind first is she respects me. What a blessing to me. She just respects me and that just drives me to want to love her more. And I would say, too, she's a godly woman. When I get up in the morning and I'm on my way to uh, do my God time, I pass by the door. She's been up before me, spending time with God. And the other thing is, she loves Jesus more than she loves me. I'm blessed. This is what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Uh, maybe you can help me. With all what? Humility. And what? Gentleness. With what? Patience. Bearing with one another in what? Love, humility, gentleness, patience, love, eager, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And keeping peace in your home, that's a whole lot better than establishing your turf. Try to get on top, try, try to be the one who's always in control. 
but seeking peace. In our marriages, there will be differences. There will be unmet needs. There's going to be adjustments. But marriage is to be honored. Marriage is to be kept pure. Marriage is a growing process where we become content with the place that God has placed us. And we remain committed to this covenant that we made before him. So in all of our marriages, we have work to do. (laughs) But that work is on ourselves. You you can't take this message and say, well, I'm going to go fix my spouse. Don't do that. (laughs) You're going to end up with some problems. We need to work on ourselves. We need to be realistic. We don't need to be unrealistic with our expectations about our spouses. We're just going to end up in pain. Let's offer grace to our spouse, the kind of grace we would love to receive. And let's do all that we can to be godly husbands or godly wives who are loving our spouses well. Let's pray. Father, again, we're reminded that in this life, we cannot accomplish this on our own. And so, Holy Spirit, I would pray that you would fill each of us, that we would die to self and we would live for you that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And out of that change and transformation, help us to love our spouses well. I pray for the marriages that are in this room. Lord, those areas where there are struggles and challenges, we pray, Father, that they would be met head on with your grace and your love and your peace, and they begin to move in a direction that brings health to the husband and to the wife and to the family. And Father, for those in the room that yet one day will be married, Father, we ask that you begin to shape them and mold them into the man or woman of God that you have called them to be who will then love their spouse well. All of this is for your honor and for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we go today, uh, the staff will be down front. We'd love to pray for you. And if you'd like to get connected to the church, uh, you'll find a table out there uh, with a banner that says next steps. We'd love for you to get connected here at the church. We will see you next week. God bless you all. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.